episode three of Intersections. Before we dive into this one, we want to say thank you. Thank you so much for the feedback, the responses. We are seriously overwhelmed and grateful. Everybody that's reached out to us to let us know the conversations that this has sparked for you or the introspection, the reflection of your own life in Intersections has really been super gratifying and reminded us, man, this is why we're doing this. This episode is a conversation on grief and aging with a biologist and an occupational therapist. Kevin and Marlissa House, some of you may know Marlissa as Missy, um, are some good friends of ours. And fun fact, Kevin and I have been good buds since fall quarter, freshman year of college, and each of us emceed each other's weddings. Kevin and Marlissa were our first house guests. That was Austin's joke. And our new little home <laughs> in Chico. Dad and jokes. we jumped right into the deep end and picked up where Missy and I had left off a couple months back when we were backpacking on Catalina Island. Missy's grandpa had recently passed away and my Opungdoli was nearing the end of his life as well. And we were processing these shifts together. And when they came to visit us, uh, my grandpa actually passed away a few days before this conversation was recorded so you won't hear this episode start off with the question what intersections do you embody instead you'll hear us jump right into a conversation about grief and mortality kevin and missy's intersections do add to the richness of this conversation though missy works as an occupational therapist and has worked with the geriatric population specifically dealing with mental health and coping with all that the end of life can bring and Kevin has a unique insight into this topic we delve into because of his line of work as well. Kevin works as an adjunct faculty in biology at a community college, and you'll definitely hear the scientific lens that he looks at the world through. So without further ado, enjoy y'all, and as always, subscribe. Subscribe. <laughs> I remember Missy on our trip for uh, Kevin's birthday weekend, we shared a little bit about you losing your grandpa. Um, and it's kind of crazy how our stories are, are paralleled. Um, mm -hmm. And yeah, you, your story just resonated with me. Um, yeah, share with us kind of now that you, your grandpa passed mm -hmm. in October, like how have you moved through mm -hmm. that process? And what insights now after the fact looking back? Because when you're in it and you're nearing the end of life, you're in it and maybe you aren't really synthesizing the whole experience and like you would now after the fact. Absolutely. I do feel like I had a lot of time to prepare for mm. his passing. My grandpa was 96 mm. and he had had numerous health scares throughout the years, a hernia, a heart attack, um, multiple surgeries. And every time he came back swinging and he was definitely a fighter, yeah. you know, he would walk like five miles same, a day up until like exact 93, story, you know, dude, crazy. And so as a result, like he was a cornerstone for our family and a mm. huge role model for me growing up. Mm -hmm. Um, and I had the privilege to be able to live just so close to him. And a lot of his other grandkids were far away. There's 12 mm -hmm. of us total. Um, but we lived within three blocks um within the last like year of his life and my mom was his primary caretaker she's the oldest girl out of five siblings and it's interesting that oftentimes the role of caretaker falls to one of the daughters mm -hmm. um 
perhaps there is a nurturing spirit there. Perhaps there's more of just that idea like, oh, as a woman, they're the caretaker. Mm-hmm. I don't know where that comes from. But it's been really interesting watching her dynamic with her siblings and how all of that has played out. Um, I've been really impressed by how she's handled it. She was um, definitely his primary ter- caretaker, although he was in a, a care center. So he had nursing staff to help mm-hmm. him. But she would come to check on him and advocate for him. And would often talk about how stressful that was for her and how unprepared she felt for that. Mm. Um, And my brother and I would do what we could. But it's also, I wonder if you could speak to the difference between being a grandchild and being a child of the person. Yeah, Um, Yeah. I was a little bit removed from it. Mm -hmm. Uh, I was able to do really fun, enjoyable things with him. We'd go on walks. We'd go to Starbucks. Mm -hmm. We'd... um, sit and chat about the week mm-hmm. whereas my mom had had to get down to business so yeah. I was lucky to have more of a I don't know lighthearted relationship yeah you um, got yeah. to just appreciate him yeah 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 and instead of it being your your I mean burden burden is the right word and it's not yeah yeah, yeah. it's a burden but it's a burden that you are privileged to carry in a yeah. way mm-hmm. um but it's not easy that's yeah. something I feel like we don't talk about a lot that yeah. preparation for that. Yeah. So we talk a lot about how to be a good parent to a newborn child. There's books you can read to prepare. Mm. It's something that is just so focused on in our culture, but nobody really talks about caring for an aging parent or yeah. um, a parent who's ill. Yeah. And if we could have some kind of caregiver support um, that was just more readily available, I know there's groups out there, but you really have to s- uh, seek them out and advocate mm. for yourself. Yeah. Um but why can't we as a society, you know, offer that helping hand? Because mm. it's so hard when you're under the burden of taking care of someone to go out and get the help that you mm-hmm. need. Um, that's just another responsibility upon yeah. the responsibility. And, and there have. are so many businesses that like prey on grieving families. Mm. Uh, I mean, <clears throat> yeah, the whole that whole industry is, I don't know, I feel like it's a being in a difficult situation and also feel, I mean, we talked earlier about a little bit about like that, the feeling of guilt. Yeah. Like if someone hasn't spent as much time with someone as they would have liked or, or think that they ought to have, like, Mm -hmm. I think that that man, that can really lead you to (laughs) spending money on things that, (laughs) will mean nothing to yeah. the person, the re- the yeah. recipient. Yeah. 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 You when time would be the most important gift. Yeah, like, I mean, a mahogany casket right? is <laughs> nice. Dude, but my sister just put 10 grand on her credit card, wow. just not even for the service this weekend, but just for the casket. Just his literally a box. Just... It's ridiculous. Like you can so spend twenty five. Not just the well. Casket. It's so the casket. And that's, the I'm guessing the f- not like some flowers. Maybe this is like the cheapest. Yeah, that's not like the high end. The yeah, no, package. she's. Yeah, this is the economy package, and I just it wow. it it like trips me out that you can spend the same amount on a wedding mm. for somebody's yeah. funeral. And the the cost of dying is just enormous, and that all goes to the mm. family. I mean, unless people have made arrangements right. ahead of time. Right. But, as, I mean, especially in America, like, you are also dealing with whatever end-of-life care was happening before mm-hmm. that, like mm-hmm. medical bills and stuff. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's yeah. Like, not a good way to go out. And my yeah. grandpa was somebody who thought ahead about a lot of those things, but I know that's not usually the case. Um, something we were talking about earlier is there's a bit of an obsession with youth culture in the world that we're living in today where it's 
you know, the best of all to be young and beautiful mm. and just starting out mm. in the business world. Yeah. And we always want to hear like an underdog story, um, conquering all odds, but we don't really talk about what happens after that yeah. retirement um, well, aging think, gracefully. You know, when you were talking about the lack of resources for people, I, I was kind of thinking when <clears throat> everyone right now who has a podcast starts aging a little bit more, we're going to see <laughs> 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 about 80 different podcasts on dealing with yeah. your parents' death. And the um, baby boomers, not to series. mention, like this is something that needs to happen yeah. soon. I'm, um, this, so this, this, he gained his fortune and oh, built his I empire. Oh, I totally, I'm on your Chip same Conley, wavelength. Yes. He, uh, he built the Joie de Vivre um, hotel empire, but they're like boutique hotels and, and um, so Vitali, Hotel mm-hmm. Vitali mm-hmm. In, in San Francisco and these, these really unique um, hotel experiences, but now he's moved away from that. Then he went on to like help grow Airbnb to what it's become and then left that left millions on the table and, and just, just to choose the life that he really wanted. And now as he's looking towards the future, mm-hmm. you know, he's in his what he's probably in his sixties, early sixties, maybe, yeah. but still so yeah. vibrant. Or maybe fifties, mm-hmm. maybe fifties. Yeah. yeah. We should, sorry, Chip, if you're sorry, older, Chip. <laughs> <laughs> we love you. You look, you, you look, look like 30. a tight forty-five, so Chip. Good. You look so good. You're a silver fox, yeah. Chip. <laughs> but he has now devoted his time to developing this um, this thing he's calling the Modern Elder. So he's doing these retreats yeah. for people over you know whatever age. I think over 40, 45. something like that. Sorry, Chip. I know. We should, <laughs> research, we should research. Yeah, we That's cool. But he's he and he he moved to like rural Mexico mm-hmm. and just living in this little town. And then he puts on these retreats every so often to gather a cohort of older folks to teach how to be an elder in today's society that yeah. doesn't mm-hmm. value yeah. older wisdom. Yeah. And so how to be an elder that isn't expecting people to come to you, but is seeking to not remain relevant in like a, I'll just put on the, you know, some skinny jeans kind of way, but mm-hmm. like how to ground yourself in such a way that still like your wisdom is recognizable even amidst the chaos of of you know our age today which changed like shifted my perspective so much because he's he's talking about like we need to set stuff in place for the inevitable that we're going to be living to a hundred right that's not how we're thinking we're thinking Mm -hmm. okay life cycles are how going to continue to be how they've always been but Pretty soon, probably in our lifetime, we might live to be in good health till 100 the way that modern health is. And we're not really setting ourselves up for a life lived to 100 years old, mm-hmm, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just, yeah, I think it's a fascinating way of of thinking about the latter portions of life. Mm. I have a lot of thoughts on that as an occupational therapist, mm. how you balance One of your, your intersections. <laughs> <laughs> how you balance your passions and your interests and... Um, looking at my dad, who recently retired at the age of 80, he was a physician, and that was his life. That mm-hmm. was his role. That was it. He was also a, a father and a friend, but he really, I think, gained so much meaning and satisfaction out of being able to care for people um, to the point where he didn't necessarily develop other hobbies or interests or plans for the future. Mm-hmm. There was no, like, oh, when I retire, I'm going to yeah. go do this. I'm going to see that. Like He was very, very content with um, his career, which is a beautiful thing. And when someone can find that, that's amazing. But yeah. how do you prepare them for that transition after when you lose a role? Um, how do you develop other roles? 
and elders, we often treat them as these fountains of wisdom, but they're also still learning and they still have mm. so much opportunity to return. If you see an older person in, in a classroom, like that's huge to have almost a posture of humility to say, yeah. like, I still want to learn. I'm still uh, young right. in mind and, and still have so much to learn about the world. Mm. Um, and I've noticed that transition be really hard for him um, because he's used to being the expert and to now move to a position of, oh, my kids know more about me than uh, in, in electronics or whatever yeah. that might be. Yeah. <laughs> I mean. How'd you get that Uber, Missy? Yeah, call me an Uber. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> this oh. Airbnb, he's, he's so blown away with that. And uh. I could sit him down and show him how to do that, but it's also, he just hasn't practiced that flexibility of learning That's new skills. That's fascinating. Yeah, to go from, yeah, like a person of high status that people sought out for their expertise to that a built-in humbling mm-hmm. experience. Mm-hmm. There's no way around that humbling experience of now I have to rely on other people to interpret the the world that's shifted around me in ways that I can't understand. Absolutely. Oh. It's really, I mean, I feel like this is just like one of the rough lessons of growing up, just kind of the, the realization that everyone is doing it for the first time. Mm. And like you know your parents tell you things growing up like that you'll realize you're wrong about things which sucks you know <laughs> um but but also then just realizing like i mean i'm the same age my mom was when i was born mm. you know and older than my dad was well and like i i don't want to have a i mean i i <laughs> Don't, don't take that don't wrong. Feel ready for no, a kid just yet. No, I, get it. I should <laughs> say, <laughs> I should say, I don't feel prepared to have yeah. a child. Yeah, yeah. Um, and depth. and just like kind of realizing, just yeah, out of our depth, just how out of everyone's depth everyone is. Yeah, and uh, they were and just even like old it. people are old people for the first time. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, and so I don't know. That's mm. all. Like. Uh, it, uh, that kind of bums me out sometimes, hmm. but then it's also cool because I don't know. It depends on, I guess, what perspective you take on it. Yeah, and uh, I mean, the flip side of that is like we're all pioneers, and we're all doing. Yeah, you know, we're all it's all new and exciting, and the mm. same thing is has been happening yeah. for forever and yeah. kind of depressing. <laughs> yeah, no, I, uh, I don't know. I want to push back on that idea that we're all pioneers. And I, I don't think, I mean, I, I get what you're saying. I guess pioneers yeah. of our own story. Okay, fair. And we're just echoes of exactly. all the Exactly, yeah. yeah. Like where, how do we shift that? I think going back to what you were saying, Missy, about how we're so infatuated with youth Thank culture. you for decolonizing my... <laughs> <laughs> calling out I don't my know if it was decolonizing, <laughs> but I just was like, oh, pioneers. Manifest <laughs> destiny. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, just this emphasis on youth culture. And I find myself, now I'm 31, and I find myself, like, when it comes to kids that I'm interacting with, like, oh, man, I need to know what they know. But, like, they need to know what I know. <laughs> like, reframing this mm-hmm. whole aging process. Like, why are we so afraid to become old? Mm-hmm. Like, why can't we step into our thirties and, and really own that and, you know, offer something back and not just like be fixated on youth. And like, I I don't know. I, I, I imagine it's has to do with the fact that the only perspective we've ever known is as a younger person Hmm. than we are now. Yeah. 
and like oh, that's gonna take me a second. Yeah, <laughs> I was like, oh, <laughs> leave it to Kevin. Leave it to the biologist. <laughs> yeah. So every passing, so, you were losing something in a sense. Or? Well, or just stepping into stepping, essentially stepping into an identity that we're completely unfamiliar with. We've always mm-hmm. been younger so it's un- than it's we are. It's uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah, like having turned thirty. I mean, it didn't freak me out too much, but it's it's also like this is un. You know, like some, like as meaningless as that might be, like some sort of milestone. Yeah. And uh, and it's also like, I don't know. Yeah. Like, the only perspective we perspectives we've ever had are of some younger version of ourselves. Mm. And uh, especially given that, like, you know, as like our our perceptions of time, like time, as far as we know, moves at a steady pace, but who actually knows because we're just perceiving it. Give it uh, to us, scientists. Yeah. <laughs> well, so, I mean, like, <laughs> there is evidence that that some people, maybe with, like, certain disorders or whatever, perceive time differently. Mm-hmm. Like, right. just at a different rate. Um, and different it's, creatures. And, you know, you'd imagine, yeah, different. like, a hummingbird can't be thinking at the same speed we are or they would not be able to do the things they do. Um, so yeah, there, there's, there's obviously like some, some kind of scalability that goes into that. Mm -hmm. And, and I think that definitely happens as you age as well, just because of reference points. Hmm. Um, when you're 10 years old, you've gone through 10 years and that's like a 10th of your lifetime. Um, when you're 30 years old, it's, it's a much smaller fraction Mm -hmm. and, and the years just seem shorter and shorter. Um, and, and I think that that like, really impacts things as well. Just like, um, you know, time seems to be slipping by just because Mm. it feels like it's getting faster. And it it is hard to like step back into maybe a, I don't know, a perspective that, because, because I think that the perspective of, of time lasting longer, maybe it's not a good thing, but, but uh, like, like being able to, enjoy things as they come uh maybe becomes harder as well just as you like i mean you also get into more ruts like yeah going through elementary school every new year is like whoa crazy yeah (laughs) exciting yeah and then um then you eventually graduate from school and things stop becoming different every year um yeah and and i i think that 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 like has a, a pretty big impact in our our like desire to jump back into those perspectives of mm. I don't know that was a long chain of unconnected right I have a thought on that at the end of that timeline you know when you realize that you are approaching the end of life especially as an older person um, I think for me and Linda as granddaughters that could be really hard for us to realize how much of a life our grandpas had lived and mm. um, we're also seeing it from a young perspective mm-hmm. um, Whereas I look back at the photographs of my grandpa's life and he had been to so many places and done Mm -hmm. so many things and was able to pack so much into these 96 years that in the grand scheme of things are, you know, so short, he was able to fit so much into that. And I think in his case, he was ready to go. Um, There was a bit of a sense of peace there that I don't think I could understand at this point in time. Mm. And I think about my friends that I've lost that were closer to my age, Mm. and it was such a different experience. Mm. There's a shock, a feeling of unfairness. Mm. Um, Whereas with uh, someone, you know, close to 100 years old or close to 90, whatever it might be, there's a sense of like 
gone through the cycle. Yeah, sorrow, but also it's like a part of the seasons that we yeah. go through as well. Yeah. Um, I just had another thought. Yeah. So taking it back to biology, mm-hmm. uh, like I, another difficult thing with a lot of life in general and <clears throat> like grappling with mortality definitely falls into this category. If you ever feel like you need to pause, like we'll edit. So if you ever need to clear yeah. your throat, just, just stop. So grappling with mortality um, is not something that humans have evolved to do. Hmm. <clears throat> There's no selective advantage for being fine with the fact that you're dying because you're going to die. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and like, I mean, that... In that fact, the opposite, right? Like... Oh, yeah. No, no. Like, a striving to not die and just right. want to keep having sex is... There's a strong <laughs> selective advantage for that. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that... And, I mean, obviously, like, that same kind of thing comes in in a lot of territory. And, I mean, going back to the sex side of things, um, like there is also just as you increase with age, um, you're, well, historically, you know, humans started having children pretty early. We've been pushing that back a little ways. Um, but then, so, so as you get older, the amount of, um, Let's see. I guess, I guess you could say that, like the, the amount of weight that genes that affect you later on in life carry uh, is kind of a bit less. So um, there, or maybe a better way of putting it is that the the like selective filter hmm. doesn't really apply after you've already had oh, most of the children you're going to have. Oh. Oh, and so like so a lot of Mind these blood. diseases that don't come on till Science. later on in life, hmm. um, you know that that largely that's because there's there's no real filter to filter those out because um if if it impacts you after you've already had your children then then it's not that's fascinating um, yeah yeah in fact i mean humans are one of the few animals where like you see postmenopausal females hanging out afterwards um and that's largely because we're like highly social and and there is still value in having Mm. elders around Mm -hmm. um fun fact Another animal where that occurs is orcas. Um, Yeah, there are orca grandmas. Oh, that's so cute. Um, So, and and again, another highly social animal that that like you have these pods with their own distinct, you could say, cultures. They have like like their own languages, essentially. Um, And so, so I guess that kind of brings us back to to like the idea of of like the value Hmm. of having elders around Mm -hmm. and and like i mean so that's another thing that runs deep in humanity and and being able to deal with that loss is not necessarily um something that we're yeah it's not something that that we have any yeah yeah i don't know yeah we're having to develop out outside of our biology like just through yeah through the oral tradition rather than so we like develop myths and, and stories or yeah. things that help us kind of uh, Go deal with that. it. Right. And then as uh, we're at a point in humanity now where we're largely as a culture growing past some of those things. And right. um, there's, I think, you know, knowing 
knowing what's true about the universe or about human existence, um, I think is good. And, mm. and I think it's like a worthwhile thing to pursue. Um, but I also think that like it's, we need, we still need to like look for the kind of meaningful side of that. Mm. And, mm-hmm. and so there's like a void, I think in just saying like, Oh, well maybe also they just die. <laughs> um, right. And, and, right. Uh, there's a finality there that really encourages you to seize the moment too. And that thought really encouraged me when my grandpa was having a hard time to just be there, even when mm-hmm. it was really hard. Mm-hmm. I mean, it can be easy to see that and say, like, oh, soon we'll be made new. We right. won't have to deal with this. And there can be an escapism there. Yeah. Um, but if you can face that bravely, uh, it's like if you believe in mm-hmm. heaven and you can face this bravely, and mm-hmm. um, there's a lot of value there. And I know for my grandpa that was, I'm sure, the most valuable part of yeah the end of his life was having his grandkids come to visit him and being able to call his kids on the phone. And mm-hmm. he was always so proud to introduce us to people as his family and mm. to tell people about us. And for young people, that's really valuable too, to see the, um, the love that the older generation can pour out onto you and the value that they mm. place in your success. And I th- yeah, I feel like this doesn't happen to all aging folks but i mean there's different templates of like what aging looks like like for some folks you just dig into those ruts that you mentioned kevin but then like the alternative is like you deepen in your appreciation maybe it's a positive rut but you deepen in your ability to appreciate like a slower pace and i imagine for those aging folks who have like learned this gift of like yeah parenting was hard but being a grandparent oh man nothing Mm -hmm. hard about it i just get to enjoy (laughs) these little munchkins and like deepening into your ability to just sit and be and to watch the world go by and appreciate it rather than feeling like you need to add something or be productive i imagine it has to be in so frustrating for folks who have that wisdom to like see those of us younger frantic trying to create our empires and create a name for ourselves and build something that that uh you know buys our right to be or or proves to ourselves in the world that we you know we're valuable humans mm-hmm. i imagine it has to be so frustrating like ah you don't get it <laughs> just slow down yeah solomon just went slow through down. this already we know how it the ends. magic <laughs> is right here right. and sitting yeah. on the porch but right. i can't just tell you that you yeah. can't hear it yet you gotta so yeah. you gotta lose somebody and you gotta live a few more years to understand it now what about this counterpoint <laughs> give it to me science science Kevin. <laughs> no no this isn't science <laughs> so just what about i mean because another frustrating thing is like the older generation uh voting <laughs> for policies that are going <laughs> oh, to be are we going there destroying <laughs> the uh Ooh. younger generations true and so That's so true. i mean like and this is um also like a hard thing to to i don't know think about or talk about maybe but but like um i on the one hand obviously there's so much to learn from people older than us mm-hmm. on the other hand um just because someone is older than you 
yeah. doesn't there's necessarily a whole lot of mean stuff you need to yeah. unlearn. Yeah. Yeah. Got there's so many whack like uh, oh yeah, he got in the mail and I'd so many them. fundraising requests emails. from the GOP. He sent, so he, he sent a lot of money to these fundraisers mm. that were just oh. supporting horrible things. I mean, like he also wasn't necessarily like aware of what was yeah. going on. There was a certain loss of critical thinking probably around the time he turned 92 he wasn't looking at <laughs> maybe things around critically maybe around then maybe around 92 <laughs> or so he lost his critical thinking you know you just you, it is it, at some point it's just so much easier and in a lot of ways healthier to just fall into this comfortable way of life mm. because otherwise you wouldn't be able to function it's also yeah. hard to explain to a 90 year old that the news channel he likes is a propaganda machine <laughs> <laughs> yeah Richard Rohr, this um, Franciscan friar, he he has this book and this whole like philosophy around the second half of life. He has this book called um, Falling Upward. Mm-hmm. And f- the second half of life, as he calls it, doesn't necessarily have anything to do with age, but it has to do when you, you know, break out of the chrysalis of um, the first container, the first container, which is trying to buy your way into your right to be your mm-hmm. worthiness. And the second half of life is about, yeah, kind of what I was just saying, like deepening into appreciation and yeah. um, a, a deeper quality of time. And yeah, here I've heard, I've listened to a bunch of, I'm a, I'm a Richard Rohr nerd, and, and Linda and I both listened to a bunch of his podcast, you, you as well? Yeah, I like him a lot. Um, so you might recognize his, the, when he talks about like older folks who you see caught in those ruts and stuck in ways that are, now harmful to other folks and he's mm-hmm. like man haven't you learned anything yeah y- you're you're here to learn and it appears you you missed the point like you mm-hmm. missed the curriculum of life yeah I, this is oh, oh, go. i was gonna say i think it goes back to the point that you were making kevin about how as as human beings we haven't figured out how to be okay with death mm-hmm. like we always have to be productive like yeah. in order Still to looking be at death as a flaw. Yeah. In the system. And we have to be producing something or striving for something or um, working towards something to survive, uh-huh. whether it's like even like the scientific way of just bearing children. You know, yeah. I think that carries on to or being right in later years. Right. Maybe. Exactly. Uh, and being able to contribute to society and like, I have to keep doing, I have to keep doing, I have to keep doing. And I think, um, that's what we that's what we're missing is like how do we appreciate just the process and just being with the process instead of always yeah. having having to be productive about being cute like having to do something yeah you know? i think that can be met through social need and that's a big thing that's missing with the way we've kind of structured mm. the way we age in our world there's not a lot of connection with younger folks there's not a lot of opportunity to maybe dive into what is happening currently Um, a lot of times they're really isolated intergenerationally segregated right Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah, that's true and spending a lot of time with my grandpa at the old folks home where he lived I made a lot of really great friends and Mm. I loved listening to their stories and you could tell they loved having a new person come around yeah but a lot of times that's we just don't have time for that and that's part of that youth culture is we're so busy achieving (sighs) yeah capitalism how do you make time (laughs) for you know, these people that aren't going to be here forever. Yeah. yeah. We, Linda and I just went on this road trip recently and we went and visited my grandma that lives in rural Washington. 
in a care facility and the closest family member she has is her sister that lives not too far away, but just far enough away that she doesn't come that often. Um, and I hadn't seen her in a little while cause it's not often we go out to rural Southeast Washington, <laughs> uh, but we went up there for my cousin's wedding and we went and visited her and I, I wasn't sure what to expect because all, all I was growing up and, um, or rather the last, last 15 years or so that I had visited her, she had been in this care facility that, um, it now the contrast is she's in a spot that's so much better than where she used to be. Mm-hmm. And I realized like, Whoa, her, like her mental health, like her clarity mm-hmm. is sharpened. Like she seems 10 years younger than last time I saw her which is crazy because she's in her eighties yeah. now and yeah, the spot she was in helped her. It's she's thriving. She's lonely, but she's thriving because the place is cleaner and it's mm. brighter and there's less chaos. There's less people in the place. And the nurses are intentional about building mm. relationships with her. Yeah. And like, yeah. And yeah. halfway through our visit, I kind of snapped out of like all, all my life. I've kind of been used to engaging with her on a level that I felt like I would, I would describe it as like talking to her in a, like an almost childlike way. And because of, because of her mental health struggles and this time, you know, we, we went out, um, and we're pushing her in her wheelchair, walking by this river and halfway through, I realized like I, she's not, talking to me the same way that she used to talk Mm -hmm. to me. Like I don't need to talk to her in a childish way. I can talk to her like an adult. I can talk to her like my grandma and I just kind of snapped out of it. And I just started telling her some real stuff instead of just being like, yeah, things are great. Grandma. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Isn't it a nice day? I started talking to her about, you know, the hardship of us moving, um, to a place where, you know, we're moving away from friends and Linda's family and like the hardship there and the, the stress of beginning new jobs and the joys of appreciating my nephews and nieces in, you know, as they're getting older and, and just, you know, stuff that I, that I wanted to share and that I knew would make her kind of light up. And it felt so good to like, for the first time, kind of have that connection with her. It was, yeah, it was, Mm. it was deep for me. Mm. Um, Yeah. It felt really big, mm -hmm. like just to be in that space with her and like really recognizing I don't know. At that moment too, I thought about my grandparents and just the value of having these elders in our lives and like the gratitude that came from, from being part of their lineage. And I think something that's kind of missing in our culture is this like deep appreciation for our ancestors. And I don't, it could be because of colonization (laughs) And like just being out of touch with our like indigenous roots or something. But I, I sat with that feeling of like, man, you know, colonization leaves behind elders. Like absolutely. The process of colonization is an elderless movement. Right. Like Mm -hmm. the, those who left Europe, Europe to come here, left their elders, left man's game, left their women. Yeah. And so, and only the women who will, follow orders like no strong-willed women got to leave them behind because yeah. you can't everybody's turn they got to take care of the family back home and you only know? like borderline antisocial men can go <laughs> 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 oh 
That's it just, explains why we get weirder the farther. <laughs> you ready to do this? No, and I think like I'm sick of life here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, man. That dang, I didn't think about that. We, yeah. Linda and I went to on our honeymoon. We went to this um, event in. Uh, British, British Col- Squamish, British Columbia. Didn't you guys go to British Columbia for your honeymoon too? Yeah, dude. BC is the Just destination. Yeah. If Yo. you're looking for a place to go on your honeymoon, we got Rex for you. <laughs> yeah, but we went to this festival called the Blessed Coast, and um, it was like music and yoga and you know one of those kind of like vegan food festivals. <laughs> dangerous. <laughs> yeah, dangerous. <laughs> You'd be indoctrinated, and we were. Uh-oh. We um, we went to this this workshop taught by a native woman native to that area in Squamish. And she, along with her partner, along who with was her partner, white, yeah, yeah. And so that part of their what they were talking about or was ex, like, they were not together. True, but they were still teaching workshops yeah. together. Wow. Um, but she, she was unpacking, and him too, um, unpacking how like, well, why did colonizers leave their homeland? They were leaving something. They were fleeing from something. They were fleeing pain, or they were fleeing some type of hardship and when you run away from your problems what happens to them they don't go away they follow you and so we have folks that fled pain and turmoil and chaos and so what do you think they brought with them they came to a new land and they that's what they passed on forward along um, with smallpox along yeah <laughs> just another form of the oppression oh, man. Uh, which was a new way to conceive of that for me and like yeah and they left their elders and their women yeah yeah i think you also like you know when like at least in history classes typically what you think of is like the leaders of expeditions um Mm. who who got a fair amount of glory right you know in their in their home countries uh but yeah like most of the people who came were not leaders of expeditions they were like all the other people on the boat right Mm -hmm. um yeah, who convicts going to Australia didn't have as much to gain <laughs> from it so much as yeah, mm-hmm. being along for the ride. Yeah, yeah. So, on a smaller scale, I mean, we see that in even the lifespan. Like going back to my grandpa's life and seeing, like he came from a very abusive childhood mm. and uh, extreme poverty, mm. um, and his dad was hit by a train when he was fourteen, I think, Whoa. and becoming the man of the house very mm. young. Something he never talked about. But this idea of like maybe running from that in a way and what you were saying about ta- like uh, speaking with your grandma as you're walking along the river, there's this point where you realize like they're human and they have flaws and they're just as real as I am. Mm-hmm. And you can talk to them, not necessarily as equals, but on a, on a similar plane. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of seeing that part of my grandpa where like realizing there were parts of him that were so broken and so hurt yeah. that were never really addressed. And then here I am as a young person coming into his life and being able to see those in some small way. I'll never know the whole story. But even as a younger person, being able to heal some of the hurt that our older generation has been through is a beautiful turn of the cycle as well Mm. to know that it is so interconnected and Mm. so important. Um, And I don't know that my mom would have been able to do that necessarily because she was so close to... Um, the direct outcome of that part of his life, yeah. you know, like him getting angry with his kids or whatever that might have looked like. Um, so it's really interesting having that generational gap, mm-hmm. being able to look at them almost a little more objectively while still idolizing them on some yeah. level. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, I I just, my mom, we were like working on my grandpa's um, like uh, bulletin or whatever, his life sketch and 
my my mom said like he didn't get past fourth grade you know wow. so he didn't get past fourth grade he raised six kids made money by making clothes had his own business and like i'm only here because of the hard work that he's that he put forth you know to take care of my mom so my mom could do what she did to get us here and um looking back like i'm not gonna have to face what my grandpa faced you know and the trauma that he probably faced as a young kid not being able to graduate like not being able to go past fourth grade, like there was something there, you know? Mm -hmm. And yeah, like the, the healing that we can do in our generation and, and breaking some of those like traumatic emotional barriers that are like our elders face. And I think when we saw Austin's grandma, one of the things that we asked her was, um, you know, we were in our first year of marriage. Like, it was my first time meeting her. Like, what can we, what can you offer us? Like, give us some wisdom. And she shared, like, just be kind to each other. Like, be kind to each other. And she got really emotional. And um, she shared that her husband wasn't kind to her. Mm. And I felt like, man, I felt those wounds for her, you know. And then also recognizing. Shook, bro. We were shook. Yeah, I cried. Yeah. I was emotional. But I also felt like the way that we honor his grandparents is by also like making sure that we're kind to each other, mm. you know, like that's, that's the beautiful thing about generations and ancestry is that we get to heal the brokenness in our family. So I mean, my dad just shared Maybe this is an old dodge that everybody knew except for me, but mm. he, he said, um, the first gen, you know, there, there's laborers, so that the next generation could become merchants, so that the next generation can become artists, <laughs> so that the next generation can become laborers, and it keep, and it continues that way. Mm -hmm. um, My dad has something very similar in his family, where he says, first you're farmers, his grandparents were farmers <laughs> in mm -hmm. Scotland, and then all their kids became pastors or pastors' wives, <laughs> this is like the 19 you know tens. And then all of their kids became physicians or mm. it's the somewhere in the medical version. field. It's the that version is the of that. And then all of their kids became archaeologists and artists. <laughs> basically farmers, right? Yeah, basically And then they have to have a generation of farmers again. Yeah. yeah. That's interesting. But I mean, what a beautiful example, learning from your grandma of how directly the wisdom of our elders can um, affect us. Mm -hmm. And I think really like taking note of the sacrifice that, the previous generations have made for us to be where we are yeah. and um, try not to squander that and, and being really mindful about how we use that opportunity. And I've thought about that a lot recently. Every time I see someone who is aging or going through an illness, mm. you can't help but kind of put yourself in that scenario and say, what will it be like when one day I'm the one lying in the hospital bed? Mm. Um, but there's a thought that if I was switched if those roles were reversed i could have that joy of knowing that i was able to send my grandkids to college yeah um, and know that you're contributing something to the world so mm. i do have some hope for my own future when i age to hopefully have a similar um, legacy to leave and to have that be a goal more than success in a way like if your success is measured by the success of the people that you help i mean that's huge yeah I've been, like we were sharing with you earlier, Linda and I have been talking about death for a while now, like six months plus, really. Mm -hmm. um, 
And I don't think that that's a grim thing. I think it's actually like you only die once. You might as well do it well, right? Yeah. And the only way to do it well is to get into a Cadillac and drive off the cliff yeah, that's when the we're old way. and we can't we decided remember who we are. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we, but that also, was our game plan. But also, I mean, like, you might as well, I mean, not you might as well, you have to. There's no, I mean, there's no good alternative to, like, choosing to age well and to age without fear of, quote, unquote, losing your youth. You're not losing mm. your youth, you're gaining mm. experience, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And death and aging isn't a flaw in the system. It's, mm. it's part of it and it's meant it's meant to be there's something essential right. i think in the life cycle mm-hmm. i um the the teacher ramdas uh oh yeah we like woke up <laughs> yeah i love this quote it's just been washing around in my head for a while now since i first heard him say it but um death is taking off an old no death is taking off a tight shoe just mm-hmm. like that uh, mm-hmm. that release or another way he puts it is death is taking on one set of clothing and putting on another mm-hmm. um, that fits this just a little the, bit better the sweet embrace of non-existence mm-hmm. yeah. or who knows you know whatever it is mm-hmm. I figure also like uh, and we we're actually just talking about this earlier but um, you know you were like completely non-existent for about 4.6 billion years. You're going to be again for who knows how long. Mm-hmm. And as far as we know, um, you know, this is the only interesting thing going on in the universe. Like <laughs> as far as we know, Let's like enjoy it. <laughs> sure it's, it might be however unlikely that, uh, that there's no more life in the universe, but it's, it's not inconceivable. There's no other like intelligent self-conscious life in the universe. So yeah, this is this is like the only thing going on of interest as far as we know, and yeah. right. uh, so you might right. as well like make Embrace the most the of it mystery. and like figure stuff out. Yeah. And like that—that's the other thing is like obviously we haven't figured out the universe yet, um, but also as far as we know, we are the only way that the universe has of figuring itself out. So. Right. <laughs> And in a way, Im- like impending death or being death adjacent is almost like the catalyst to remind yourself, oh, I have to stop and live. For I was going to figure out the universe. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't I don't have unlimited time. And that's part of like this impetus to create and mm, connect. Mm-hmm, and I mean, mm-hmm. without that, what right. motive would there be? Right. What moving, you know, force behind it all? So and yeah, like that's the that's the like the beautiful motivator of our own impending death. But like that doesn't make losing somebody else easy by any means easy. Nobody was going to call it easy. But at the same time, like when you had shared about your grandfather, like driving by um, his place where he lived and just missing him. um, Like that's, that's there because there was love there. Right. Mm -hmm. If, if you didn't really care if he was, you know, if your grandpa Mm -hmm. was a jerk or if you had just grown apart, it wouldn't be hard to drive by his place. It's just, oh, that's where this old guy mm-hmm. lived that I was related to. But because there was love there, that's why it's hard, right? Absolutely. And you wouldn't trade that. You wouldn't trade the love that was there. Never. Uh, even knowing that that's what's going to make it tough to drive by 5565 five, Slover Drive or wherever, <laughs> wherever 
wherever you and live. it's like a block away from our house too <laughs> yeah so frequent. yeah mm-hmm. but along those lines too like it's interesting that that to me is like my shrine to my grandpa so I'm still kind of grappling with that and mm-hmm. what that will look look like um, when my own parents come of age or when I yeah. come of age. What's that going to look like for my kids and my grandkids? And um, my grandpa was really intentional about cultivating individual traditions with each of us. Mm-hmm. So um, with my cousin and their siblings, he'd take them to TCBY. And for me and my brother, he'd come and have dinner with us every Friday night. And for another cousin, he'd take him to play softball in the park every Wednesday. And um, so, like, each day of the week, he had a really long retirement, and he was able to do this, like, wow, grandkid that's schedule. <laughs> that's amazing. Um, so we all have these kind of, like, unique memories to hang on to. Um, but at some point, the torch is kind of passed on to you as well to mm. make that effort to reverse the roles and make the memories with yeah. that person. And you don't have to. You don't. It's yeah. easier not to sometimes. Yeah. But You can live in a way that's not memorable. Yeah. Um, because but you get to. A lot of times people have so much on their plate. Like if you have kids and a full-time career, how do you do it? How do you juggle that all? Mm-hmm. You right. know? Um, and death is never convenient in its timing. No, it is <laughs> you not. You can't oh, man. always plan it out as you'd like. Um, so I think I was just lucky Linda to be in the same place. Linda and I are going place. to, though. Yeah. Decided. Be yeah that, I mean, that is. Cadillac drive. <laughs> that I was Cadillac say that drive is down the cliff, you know. I I'm old and Cena. Um, <laughs> so a tangent, but working at the VA hospital last year, mm-hmm. you know, they're they engaged in like <laughs> test trials for some of these like progressive modes of therapy that include substances like MDMA or different psychedelics. And so part of that research is showing that like psilocybin psilocybin assisted therapy is like is super effective for assisting with the like crippling fear of death that some people live with especially Mm -hmm. like terminal cancer patients who just can't reconcile with the the fact that they're they have this terminal prognosis and psilocybin you know one magic trip and then boom you're like (laughs) this person that can really (laughs) appreciate and like dive fully into whatever time you have left which i think is amazing um kind of shoves you into a new world view i guess this kind of thing back to how we're not prepared to deal with death Mm. like we're also we're we're also not necessarily programmed to see the universe as it is um or see reality as it is we're programmed to see it in a way that helps us get around the world and survive and make babies and all that stuff. And so like the fact that, you know, this table is mostly made up of, and every all matter is mostly made up of space. Um, but yet we see it as like these solid things and perceive it as, I don't know, there's, you know, like reality is, is if we can say anything almost assuredly, different from how we're seeing it in our brains the morning that we found out that linda's grandfather had passed um linda got the text you know the family text thread blew up about it um and that was shortly before we got a call about it but she she first learned out by text and um you know we woke up and she told me that her grandfather had passed and right then i had like i had just opened my email and seen that this album had been released by this this um, music producer called East Forest, and he had dubbed all these these Ram Dass um, teachings to music 
And so I opened it up, and as we're getting the news, I see that there's this track called, um, if I forget the full title, but I was like, man, how timely is this? So we listened to it, and it begins with this, it, you know, his voice is so rich, but it's slow and faltering because now he's in his 90s, and he's in a wheelchair, and he's speaking a bit slower now, but the voice comes on and says, death is a ceremony. And it was, oh, it just like, for me, just like the, the onslaught of emotion that we were about to face, it just like prepared me. And I, I think maybe you too, Linda, like mm -hmm. in a, in a mm -hmm. way to face all the conversation about um, the death of her grandfather with, you know, starting with that perspective, death is a ceremony that mm -hmm. like, it's a taking off of mm -hmm. these clothes and putting on a new one. Um, yeah, kind of helped yeah. me face that a little more mindfully. Yeah. Something we haven't touched on is, um, kind of the scripts that we've heard in church about death and it's just asleep. Yeah. It's just <laughs> sleeping and you know, you'll see them and I'm not discrediting, discrediting the value of that. And I think it is valuable and it offers a lot of comfort to many people. Um, and in my experience with this, um, my grandpa passing is like, that takes away from the weight of his mm. being yeah. in a sense. Like, the I just want to explain yeah. it away. Right. Like if you, f if you yeah. find it comforting for yourself, right. then hold on to that. Yeah. But don't assume that that's beneficial to somebody mm. else. Right. Because mm. it could be robbing them from the appreciation of a life right. lived right or, like, yeah don't rob mm. me of this sorrow like, yeah yeah you don't get many moments of real true sorrow mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. like it's important to to move through them mindfully don't mm -hmm. try to rob me of my sorrow just mm -hmm. to make yourself feel better for that you comforted me or yeah. that you showed mm -hmm. up for me and mm -hmm. um because it's uncomfortable for you to yeah. sit with my sorrow <laughs> exactly. so you're gonna tell me that oh yeah. don't worry you'll yeah. see them again Yes, I was kind of unraveling on Monday night and just really feeling the weight of this grief and being overwhelmed with being in a transition phase. And Austin asked me, like, would you rather be feeling something else? And that kind of struck me like, no, I wouldn't. Like, I'd rather choose feeling this heaviness because, like, my grandpa was a giant and I get to feel that, like I get to feel that loss. Um, and I think because of our society's preoccupation with not knowing how to deal with death, I think we lose a bit of our humanity when we don't sit with that, you know, when we, we don't just like spend time with loss and grief and cuddle up with it. Because I think that's part of, fully part of being human is to really, you know, lean into those emotions and also embracing those connections that come mm. from that, you know. Wow. That's also some of the beauty of these more tribal cultures, like like your family's oh, tribal yeah. culture, Batak. Mm -hmm. the, like part of death is like you don't keep anything and you externalize mm -hmm. all of that. Mm -hmm. Like you get it all yeah. out and it comes out in the wailing and it comes mm -hmm. out in like, you know, for me, you know, a mild-mannered white person, <laughs> it's like, 
dear heavens, that's, you know, <laughs> it seems so Quite dramatic. A scene. Yeah, what a what a hoopla! <laughs> but it's I it's a there's something important there. There's something important like in community to to like externalizing all that. Mm-hmm. You're not keeping anything yeah. back. They're emptying the whole bucket of that sorrow. Right. They're doing it together. Right. I love that. Yeah, mm. I think about what it was like in my grandpa's room as he was going through that process of dying. Um, it was a three day process, you know. Um, there's always that question of what is it going to be like? Will it be sudden? Mm. Will it be unexpected? Will it be unfair? Will it be a slow decline? Um, and in this particular case, I think it gave everyone time to say farewell um, in their own specific way, but it also was very reserved to such mm. a quiet room. Mm-hmm. Mm. And a part of that was knowing that he could hear and not wanting to alarm him in any way. There's that element too. Um, and not to say that that's, that's wrong. I guess it's yeah. just different than the culture that I grew up in. Cause I grew up in a culture similar mm. to what you're describing. Yeah. yeah. And I don't know what would be better for my mental health in that process. Mm-hmm. So for me, like that process of sitting with him, I had, a half an hour it was just me and him and Kevin in the room and that was my time to say goodbye before the rest of the family arrived and he was still lucid at that point and his last mm. words to me were I love you Aww. and um I haven't read the bible in a while but mm. I know that that's so important to him and I just typed in you know psalms like something that would be um comforting, comforting right mm. so psalms 91 was the first thing that came up and uh, it's not uh, comforting all the way through there's also some really tough stuff in there um, some really intense imagery, you know, and did you read the one about dashing babies against the I rocks? I might have <laughs> skipped over a few lines, you know, I took some liberties with which parts I read, but, um, my mom told me later that, that was the greatest hits. Yeah. Greatest hits is Psalm 91. And my mom told me later that was his favorite, um, verse in the Bible, mm. a favorite mm. chapter. And that was something that he carried with him in his front Aww. pocket all the way through world war II. Wow. Um, when he was facing these atrocities, wow. you know, and to like, there's this hope within me that if those words could have brought him comfort, I really hope he was able to hear yeah. um, something from that. But, you know, the whole time I wasn't necessarily choking back tears. I allowed myself to cry freely in front of him. Um, but it's it's so interesting when you do confront death for the first time. Hmm. How am I going to be in grief? Like, mm-hmm. what will that look like for me? Will it be uncomfortable? Will it be cathartic and, and genuine and true to what my relationship with mm. this person was like. Mm-hmm. And um, in this case, I think it was kind of beautiful to have all my family arrive, to spend time talking to them. And um, after he had passed, I was at uh, my internship and my mom called and told me that he had passed away. And I wrestled with the idea of going back to sit with the body and with mm. my family yeah. and to be there for my mom. And she said, you don't have to do that for me. Like, I can handle this. And so I didn't end up going. And in retrospect, I'm really uh, glad that I didn't. I think it could be valuable for some grief processes. But for me, I'm glad I didn't have to necessarily sit there um, with his body after he had died. Because that would have just sort of added this layer as, like, that's my last memory of him. Mm. So there's also this discomfort with, like, like the physical act memory. of death. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And... Um, seen that contrasted with I spent three summers in an anatomy lab dissecting cadavers and I'm not necessarily uncomfortable around uh, a dead human body it's also a beautiful thing to see you know like the forms preserved and Mm -hmm. um, the magical inner workings of the human body but when it's someone that you know personally it's so different you know right so that was an interesting process and I really wanted to know what that will look like when my parents pass Mm -hmm. how will that be different as their child 
Yeah. I think that, like, the, uh, both, like, not knowing how to deal with the griefs associated with death, as well as this kind of, like, uh, understandable, like, attachment to life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but, like, I think we, we kind of start to view death as, <clears throat> like, a moral evil. Mm-hmm. Um, a flaw. Yeah, a flaw, a flaw. Oh, but, but more than that, like, like instead of just saying like it's immoral to kill someone, hmm. it's almost as though it's like immoral to let someone die as well. Hmm. Um, and so, so there's just like clinging on to life that draws it so much hmm. past the point of comfort for so many people. Um, and then, like, I mean, yeah, there's, I, yeah, it just feels like there's a lot of you know, our own discomfort and, but also like a bunch of superstition getting in the way. So true. And, yeah. and it's like this, like, you know, holding life as quote sacred, yeah. um, long after quality is of life. Really right. Just, yes. Yeah. In, a, in a training I have that had to do with palliative care and hospice care. Mm-hmm. Um, statistic we learned was that, you know, like, if you're on the preserve life at all costs mode, yeah. your quality of life is lower and you actually live, you die sooner than if you mm-hmm. go on to palliative or, or hospice care. Once you're on this, okay, we're just going to make you comfortable until you pass. Folks actually live longer. <laughs> you live about 25% longer wow, if we're not yeah. trying to make you live longer. Mm-hmm. And I think part of that is just, yeah, this, this quality of and the, you've accepted the pressures off. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, it it seems like it is such a like quality o- a quantity over quality thing for for so many people it's like oh we can get maybe a week more with him mm-hmm. if we put him on this machine where he's literally just breathing um or something like that i mean i remember when when um one of my grandmas died when i was in uh like my freshman year in college as i mentioned before and um so I, they knew she was going to be dying. She was in the hospital for something else and then ended up, I think, breaking a hip. Or no, no, she was in there because she broke a hip and then contracted pneumonia. Um, mm-hmm. And so so I, I, like, came home and, and, like, was there when she died. And then, you know, you have to make the decision of, like, whether or not to keep like I don't know it's just it's such a weird position to be in but also um the idea that I don't know that that clinging really I think is usually for the worse and there's always that question of whether or not the patient themselves can make that call a lot of times they're not in a position where they can express I want to keep living or I'm ready to go no and it's it's usually it's for the family who of course are are like not wanting them to die this is um, a short advertisement for advanced directives, people. Mm-hmm. Do them. <laughs> Fill them out. Yes. Talk we to your to social that. worker oh, or your healthcare marketer. provider. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I don't know. That, that's, yeah. I, yeah, I really resonate with, mm. with that, of, of just how we've made death to be something immoral, you mm-hmm. know, and mm. this clinging on to life. I really saw that with my grandpa who, yeah, for the last few years, just like holding on, like fighting, coming back. And I was so glad he made it to our wedding and mm-hmm. so thankful. Mm-hmm. Um, but just really these hospital visits and like seeing his body deteriorate to deteriorate and like wondering what was best for him. I'm like, this is not 
quality of life. And so what does it mean to live? You know, what Mm -hmm. is, what is the life that we want to preserve for our family members? Um, really, I mean, it made me think about like, how do I want my end of life process to, to look like Cadillac drive? I told Austin, I was like, yo, if I'm, if I don't have a quality of life that you know me to live by, like, and it's so hard to, as a family member, you know, cause we are, we do love our family members and we don't want to see them go, but it really is like, man, we have to learn how to sit with that, mm-hmm. sit yeah. with death in a different well, way. And the difficult thing also is obviously like it's much easier to philosophize about right. it than Absolutely. it is to, but when you're in the moment, Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's still going to hit you and be like, right. ah. Right. Um, You're never quite ready, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. And there's also a way to, yes, yeah, like you only do it once, but at the same time, like you can rehearse that. Like uh, there's a Buddhist tradition that, like, Mm -hmm. that's part of why you meditate is you're practicing letting go of the ego. Mm -hmm. Like you're rehearsing death every time you sit. And that is also psychedelics. Yeah. 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 And folks have psychedelic experiences just meditating. Ego death. Yeah. Uh Um, And why not rehearse that? Like, this is an important, it's one of the biggest things we do in life. Why not rehearse it? It's the grand finale, baby. the grand finale. (laughs) And you hear about people doing that with their families too, helping their families rehearse that by having a celebration of life ceremony before Mm. they die, Mm. you know, to... (laughs) And faking their death multiple times. Like Tom Sawyer. (laughs) No. But when you can, yeah, make the last moments or last years of your life really meaningful, Mm. that can also be a really helpful practice. Mm -hmm. Right. yeah, I do like, I mean, I think in an os- optimistic kind of um, point of view, like I imagine that um, like a more intentional death and physician-assisted suicide, if that you know becomes more widely accepted, I imagine that, that like being able to be more intentional about death, which would require talking about it yeah. as right. a I mean, it is legal in california it is it's legal in california if you have I think a, the whole west mm-hmm. coast isn't it uh well okay california and oregon i don't know about oh, Washington, okay yeah, but yeah. Mm-hmm. folks that folks that do you know t- like take the tab home or whatever it is that you take mm-hmm. most often end up not using it but it mm-hmm. relieves so much suffering to know that there's another option yeah mm-hmm. then wow. like mm-hmm. yeah like Okay, I have a I have a way out of this suffering that yeah. that actually relieves so much suffering. Because a lot folks. of the suffering with terminal illness is that loss of control, yeah. mm-hmm. not being able to say where Absolutely. your life is going. Absolutely, much more so than the actual moment of yes. death. I yeah, think. Mm. yeah. In California, it's like you have to have a, a um, terminal, like a, a six month. Yeah, there's a six. Yeah, your cousin was telling us about three different physicians period. have to to diagnosed you have like to go a six month mm-hmm. which is a there's a lot of hoops to jump through like especially you if you're at the very end of your life mm-hmm. I mean, that, that yeah could be kind of a pain but and you have to find three physicians that are willing to write this up for you and wow. recommend yeah. which there's not and actually that not many like physicians getting that are a to take that liability getting a weed wreck yep <laughs> not quite like that <laughs> you can't just go down to the beach yeah. and pay 40 bucks so it is possible and legal to do it in, in california and apparently on the west coast um, yeah i know oregon it's been for a while i think mm-hmm. yeah but but yeah i, I mean i imagine uh, hopefully like if especially you know if um if it's something that people start talking more about and feel more comfortable discussing ho- i 
I think that would be a good thing to like be more in control of that. I, I think it's, I don't, I don't think that viewing that as like quotes unnatural is helpful at all. Um, hmm. uh, especially when like we're already putting people on machines and trying yeah. to keep right. them alive as long as possible. Right. Um, and yeah, allowing someone to die, I mean, on their terms, but on like mutually agreed upon terms or, um, or while they're still cognizant, um, I think I imagine it would be just better for everyone involved, yeah. but who knows what'll happen. I feel mm. responsible to, to plug that as a social worker, I'm not like not endorsing that necessarily yeah like the urge the urge to complete suicide is something separate like that's that's tied to depression which is separate from like i'm suffering and nearing the end of life yeah yeah Um, exactly yeah a big focus of my job is like we keep folks alive so that they have the opportunity to get better mm-hmm. from mental health issues, mm-hmm. which is a totally separate issue from like, yes. I'm near the end of my life and I w- want to, and I'm my mental faculties choice. are slipping yeah. and yeah, like I want, I want to leave as the person my family knew or something mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. that. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, as I said before, uh, I, I think as far as we know, this is the only interesting thing going on in the universe. So <laughs> stick around for it yeah. <laughs> as long as possible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, there's orca grandmas. You got to, you know, yeah. There's orca gra- <laughs> yeah, there's orca grandmas to meet for at least a little while longer. <laughs> there's this. Uh, so statistically by the time you're 18 or, you know, your early twenties, whenever it is that you move out of the house, you've statistically spent something like, 80, 85% of the time you'll ever spend with your parents mm-hmm. in your life. Mm-hmm. And so looking at your time with them that way and much more so your your grandparents. Um, so yeah, thinking about your time, man, I've already spent by and large the majority of time I will ever spend with my parents in my life. Um, so why not be intentional about creating mm-hmm. memories mm-hmm. and making it count? And, you know, showing up for those moments, having real conversations, um, learning about who they are because they're still becoming who they are. Yeah. Right. Even in their older age, they're still yeah. becoming who they are. So why not be curious about that? And, and uh, you and you probably didn't know the real them as you were growing up. Yeah. Right. Because they didn't That's either. True. Yeah. <laughs> they're still becoming them. Yeah. And yeah, they, you definitely, definitely didn't when you were growing up. Yeah. <laughs> you still thought they were Superman or woman. Yeah. You know, yeah. Your relationships. Kind of as our closing, maybe our closing question or reflection. Um, how have you prepared for that? Or how, I mean, how has this like experience, even sitting with grief, how has this changed the way that you choose to live and how you guys make meaningful memories or choose to live out your mm. life? <coughs> um, I mean, I think like, so I had two of my grandparents die when I was, I think I was in college for, well, no. Yes, I was in, I think, college for two of my grandparents and then uh, shortly after for another one. Um, And I don't think it was really (coughs) until my grandma died, I think it was four years ago, that uh, I think that was the one that really kind of, jarred me more um Mm. partially because you know again i was in that like part of life where things were changing more i'd gotten out of school and was uh working and 
and I was also down in Southern California. Missy was still up in Washington, and we had just like had a Christmas break, which always feels too short. And so I was up at home in Portland, and Missy had come over, and then I had to fly home, and she was, so we like had gone our separate ways. Um, I also had like a back problem that flared up the day I was supposed to leave and I had to go to urgent care. And so there's this whole thing. And then a couple of days later, um, I got the news that my grandma had died. Mm. And so that was just like this piling on of stuff that I think hit me pretty hard. And, um, so, I mean, like I've always been a, at least a bit philosophically inclined. And so it's not like it's, was nothing I had thought about. Um, but I think that was kind of the, uh, just because of maybe the ignorance of youth or I don't know what, um, like, like that was kind of the first thing that made me realize like, Oh, um, no, these, these things do have the capacity to hit me hard. Even if, even if I have like ideas about life Mm, and death. mm -hmm. Um, and, and so like it, it kind of shook me a little bit just because it was like unknown emotional territory for me. Right. Um, not like I hadn't been sad or anything before, but like that, that kind of like it sent me into like a depressive state for a little while that was unfamiliar territory. Mm. And, um, and so like, I don't know. So that, that was tough. Um, and then Every now and then since then, it's just like, um, I don't know, I, I get to thinking about stuff and, and it's still like, I think life in general just kind of, just as part of growing up and shifting, mm. um, shifting worldviews and everything, like life just feels a little weird. And mm. thinking about like all this, like, man, uh, I remember, well, I remember when my grandma died, I remember thinking just like of how difficult this this series of of just death getting closer and closer to you, you know, it's like it it comes for strangers. It comes for grandparents and Mm. parents and then maybe siblings. Mm. Um, and like, I'm, I'm still like figuring out how I react to to things. And, and then as I, I'm constantly changing as a person and growing Mm -hmm. as a person. And so like how I deal with one death is going to be different from the last. Um, so that's not a conclusive answer at all, but yeah. yeah. I mean, I think you're saying something really important about grief is that it's always going to be different no yeah. matter, like, because the person is different and mm-hmm. the place that you're in in life is different and it, it manifests itself in different ways. So it is, it is, it is jarring once it gets closer. I like how you said that it gets closer to you as you get older, um, from your grandparents to your parents to siblings to you spouse, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Um, so it does shift and change. Every yeah. loss is hard. I don't know that it gets easier. Um, mm-hmm. I've watched my grandpa go through this phase and now my dad where a lot of their close friends are dying. Mm-hmm. And you get to a point where there's just a few, you know, from your college class or whatever era of your life that are still alive. And there's sort of a constant reminder hanging over your head. Um so I wonder when I get to that point, if that will encourage me to live with this sense of how lucky I am to still be able to enjoy this beautiful world. Or if at some point the loss gets so crippling because you've lost the people that are important to you, mm. that the world itself starts to lose its meaning. Mm. I don't know for sure what that will be like. 
um, we talk a lot in occupational therapy about legacy projects for people with terminal illness, picking something that is very personally valuable to them and helping them make that dream a reality. A lot of times it looks like making a scrapbook or a mm. video for their kids or their grandkids, something to um, pass along something what's tangible. important to them, something That's tangible. Really and um, <clears throat> as we were talking earlier about how later on in life there is this opportunity to learn and to redefine your roles, reinvent yourself. If you are blessed with um, good health and a strong social circle, you have those opportunities um, so as I age, I really hope to seek those things out, plan ahead to some degree, mm-hmm. and maybe put myself in positions where I will have those opportunities. Who's to say what health will bring our way? That's kind of a lottery. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Um, but I know that last time we visit, you t- visited, you talked about how Chico State offers over 300 courses mm-hmm. for uh, senior citizens, for people over 55 or something mm-hmm. like yeah. that. Um, thinking about death is such a hard thing but also planning like how am I going to live my life to its fullest what can I um, explore and learn about after I retire that will continue to bring meaning into my life that's something I've been thinking about and and toying with and how can I bring that into my parents lives and help them Mm. um, define this next stage in life as they move into retirement um I mean, I know Kevin's mom would love us to have kids so that (laughs) she could redefine her role as grandma. But, you know, also just finding what kind of hobbies they like and what really interests them. And um, so I hope that when I get to that point, I'll be able to enter into that period with grace, Mm -hmm. um, following in the example of my grandpa, valuing family, really empathizing with my kids or whoever it is that is taking care of me. And knowing that it's hard, but also not being ashamed of that fact, not being ashamed of the fact that I'm human and that my body will fail. Um, And as a a medical practitioner to also in my career, maybe bring some depth of understanding into the lives of the patients that I work with or the clients that I work with Mm -hmm. and um, hopefully bring some of that perspective into my career as well. Beautiful. Um, I just wanted to say thank you for sharing your perspectives and insights. Um, It really has, like, I'm coming away from this conversation of, like, man, I I am grieving the loss of my grandfather, and I also look forward to now spending time with my parents Hmm. and getting to offer time and, like, creating memories with them in a meaningful way because there is, you know, we've talked about death in a real way, but there is a lot of time to make those memories count and to give back. Um, and yeah, so thank you for sharing those insights. Well, we like to end these conversations this way. Feel no pressure to respond in <laughs> kind, but here we go. We'll see if we can get it on the first try. Kevin and Missy, the, the highest, highest in us honors, honors the, the highest, highest in you. you. And the highest in us. Like I said, feel no pressure. Likewise.